You know, there is nothing quite like a good sermon illustration, a story, a visual aid, a symbol that drives home the point that the preacher is trying to make. And you can tell it's working by the listener's reactions. At first, they may seem confused or skeptical. Where is this going, preacher? And then they become more interested, leaning forward, making sure they catch every word. And then finally, they begin to connect the dots. Oh, yeah, I, I see what you mean now, I get it. So it shouldn't surprise us that the best illustrations come from God himself. The Lord told Abraham, a childless man with an elderly wife, to look up at the night sky. He said to him, number the stars if you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And then he made the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into a great nation. The Lord told Moses to tell the people of Israel to keep the Passover feast year after year, eating roasted lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. This would serve as a perpetual reminder of the way that the Lord rescued them from slavery in Egypt through the 10 plagues, and particularly through that final plague, the death of the firstborn. Following the Lord's instruction, the Israelites took the blood of the slaughtered lambs and put it on the lintels and doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over their houses when he came to strike down the firstborn in Egypt. After that, the Egyptians begged the enslaved Israelites to leave their country, and the Israelites had no time to waste, not even time for their bread to rise. And so every time the Israelites and Jews today eat the Passover meal, the bitter herbs would remind them of the bitterness of slavery. The roasted lamb would remind them of the blood of the Passover lamb that saved them from death. And the unleavened bread would remind them of the way that they had to eat quickly in order to escape from Pharaoh before he changed his mind and sent his soldiers after them. Now Jesus, growing up with these traditions, filled his teachings with parables and stories that drew his listeners in. He understood the meaning of a visual aid and even of a meal. And so on his final evening with his disciples, before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, Jesus took ordinary things, bread and wine, towel and basin, and he used them to convey some of his final lessons to his disciples. At the table with his disciples, Jesus sought to explain to them the purpose and meaning of his impending death, a fact that a new covenant was being created between the Lord and humanity, 
unlike the covenants of old that the Lord made with Abraham and Moses, which were cut with the sacrifice of animals, this new covenant would be cut with the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. And so Jesus took the bread, broke it, and said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So just as the blood of the Passover lamb saved the people of Israel from death and slavery, the blood of Jesus, the new Passover lamb, would save all those who put their trust in him from eternal death and slavery to sin. And so Jesus instituted a new meal for his followers, consisting of bread for his body and wine for his blood. As the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so tonight, we will once again meet Jesus at the table as we eat the bread and drink from the cup, proclaiming and remembering our Lord's death for our eternal life. But as we heard in our gospel lesson from the 13th chapter of John's gospel, Jesus had even more to share with his disciples on this night. I want you to listen again to John's description of Jesus and his state of mind in this moment. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. It sounds like Jesus is about to do something pretty awesome, doesn't it? Jesus knows exactly who he is. He knows where he comes from. He knows where he's headed. Perhaps now he will reveal to his disciples once and for all who he is. Will he become bright and gleaming like he was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Will he perform one last miracle multiplying bread and wine? Not exactly. John continues. Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. So this is the big reveal, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. He knows that he is from God and he's returning to God, and so he washes their feet. This is the role of a servant or a slave, not a rabbi. Peter is understandably shocked and concerned. He makes a point of telling Jesus, you will never wash my feet. It is unthinkable that the man Peter has come to know as the Messiah would do such a thing. 
And yet Jesus insists, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. In order to be part of Jesus's tribe, you have to submit to this kind of shocking, humbling closeness with the Lord. Like a parent who has bathed us, Jesus knows us intimately. What our breath smells like, how dirty our feet are, and all the details of our sins. The sins that only he can wash away. He knows everything about us and he willingly lowered himself in order to serve us in love and to teach us how to serve and love like him. Sometimes it can be difficult to be known so well inside and out from our head to our toes, from our deeds to our words to our innermost thoughts, all laid bare before Jesus. And yet, he does not come to accuse us, but to rescue us, to wash us, cleanse us, and make us his own. He does, however, challenge us. John writes in his gospel, after he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. If the Messiah is not too proud to wash his disciples' feet, then they ought to be willing to do the same. This is a perfect object lesson for what Jesus will tell his disciples a little later in the 13th chapter of John's Gospel. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus made sure his disciples knew that he loved them, even humbling himself to wash their feet. As John writes, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so having received such humble love from the rabbi, friend, and Messiah, he asked them to go and do likewise, to love one another as he has loved them. Now notice that this new commandment of Jesus only makes sense in the context of his love for them. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. If we have not received Jesus's love, then we cannot love others as he did. It is only when we are secure 
in Jesus's love, when our identities are rooted in him, that we can feel safe humbling ourselves and giving ourselves away in love as he did. And so tonight, we, like the original disciples, are invited to enter into Jesus's presence by the power of the Holy Spirit through the ordinary means of bread and wine, towel and basin. As we meet at the Lord's table, may we remember the costly love of our Lord Jesus Christ for us, and may we be strengthened by this holy food. And as we wash one another's feet, may the Lord transform our hearts so that we may truly love one another as Christ has loved us. Amen.